It's like, by the way, we pivoted the podcast again. It's just advertisements. Yeah. It's classifieds for podcasts. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things we do in this podcast is we invite um, our listeners to get the word out about stuff they're doing. And um, yeah, so we normally forget about, <laughs> like, people send in ads and then we forget to read them. Sometimes. And we end yeah. up reading them at the end. And we know that. Not everyone has the uh, the same endurance, <laughs> and so some people don't make it to the end, and then we feel bad that maybe they didn't hear the ad. So we're going to open on the ad today. Um, now, I just need to find the ad. I sound like an old man, just like, <laughs> where is it? Oh, yes, there it is. Um, okay. So the ad goes as follows. Should we just skip it? I read it, and it's really bad. <laughs> we can skip the ad, but should we at least mention who's ad it is the ad is for the wrong tv which is a streaming tv platform for digital art and culture with no ads yes a free online tv where you cannot skip the videos this ad is really bad but the wrong tv is okay in case you want to check it out just go to the wrong dot tv okay cool. thank you that I- that ad almost like it disrupted the reality, the fourth wall there. For, yeah. for a second, I was like, is this ad, you know, the way you were reading the ad, I thought you did a good read at the start there. It was like, mm, believable. <laughs> <laughs> people are always trying. I think it's fun to see how people interpret our dialogue. It, in it, it, I've been listening form. to different podcasts and then there's a, uh, Scott Galloway now, I think, is known for doing ironic ads where he makes fun of the ad itself. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Alcohol free beer. That's going to taste great. And it, it's this meta advertising where you know him to be critical of capitalism and he's a marketeer, so he is telling you the <laughs> tricks. But then he's also selling you stuff, so it's very meta warped. Uh, and it feels like commercial culture in general has gotten to the point where we all know the tricks and we have to keep winking like, I know it's another online mattress sale, but this one's better. It's a triple wink, yeah. yeah. It's like... A- a double fake or something yeah 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 i think it's a good it's actually a good introduction into what you know we're not let's skip the small talk (laughs) but like but it's a good introduction into uh this week's uh film actually which is you know uh really tries to 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 be real you know yeah uh yeah in in kind of some significant ways so how do we want to set this up yeah what is real (laughs) Well, the film, of course, is Il Posto. You chose the film. Tell us, tell us why you chose it. Um, I chose it. I saw an interview. I subscribed to Criterion, I have to say. And it, it's uh, Criterion is like a gym membership where you subscribe to it. And it's like, that's it. No more crap. I'm going to watch quality. And then you go back to Netflix because you're tired. Mm. Uh, and so I tried it many times. But now, since it's the lockdown and there's no movie theaters, it, it seems somehow I managed to watch movies on Criterion. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the Safdie brothers, who directed Uncut Gems, which we reviewed, yeah. uh, there's an interview with their favorite movies, and they mentioned Il Posto, and they're like, oh, it's an amazing movie. and Which is funny, because we, we reviewed Uncut Gems as being one of the most anxiety-inducing, <laughs> high-octane, stressful movies, and yeah. this movie is very different, but... Um, well, it depends on who you are. You might find this very stressful if you've endured a lifetime of administration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, maybe maybe I'll summarize the story really quick. Um, we follow a young a teenager, maybe he's 15, 16, or what would you say? 
Yeah, because he he says he's finished middle school. Yeah. And when when he says that, I'm like, whoa, he is really younger than. I mean, as young as he looks. He's well, he's wearing cute. adult clothing. I think by today's standards, he he's dressed like an old man. But it, so <laughs> yeah. what I okay, I'll just get the story out of the way real quick. So he's a, a young guy, uh, maybe fifteen, sixteen. The family is not is they're not dead poor, but they're pretty poor. He sleeps in the kitchen, and they're like, you got to get a job. Um, he gets recruited. I think it's a time of economic growth in Italy, and uh, there's a big company that's never named, and they're just hiring lots of people. So he has to go in, and it's it's not hiring where he's sitting with one person. He's with 20 people, and they're doing strange tests, and it's all kind of weird. He gets reviewed. They don't need a full office clerk yet, but then he gets a kind of internship. He meets a girl. It seems like him and the girl are getting along and there's something going, but then that fizzles and nothing happens. And he ends up in the clerk room and has the clerk job. And uh, is, is that a summary of the story? Am I missing it? You made it sound boring and it's so exciting. Like, and, no, it's, he, it's, he, a, it's a great movie. I just, uh, <laughs> I just want, this, this is like the index page of the book, like yeah, the yeah. chapters, and then we can go yeah. in detail. Yeah, I just one thing you got out of sequence was uh, he, he meets the girl... Um, and she's just as young as he is during the interview process and then kind of struggles throughout the film to reconnect with her. Yeah. Um, including, I think a major, you know, scene in the film you left out is there's a office party on, on yeah, New Year's yeah. and she doesn't show up, which is hugely devastating. She, she, she asks him to come to the office party and he goes without a date. It's kind of embarrassing. And then he sits with a friendly older couple, but of course he'd rather sit with her and he's looking around the room hoping that she'll walk in and different people walk in and yeah he's he's a shy teenager um but then finally he has a drink and he starts dancing and in the end he has fun at the party that's true yeah. um, but it's literally me at like every uh every party i've ever been. yeah <laughs> I, I i think i think part of the appeal for me about this movie is he's not an anti-hero in a sort of clint eastwood way where he shoots up the whole town and in an immoral you know like he's not a gunslinger he's not really great at anything you you he comes home after he met the love interest and he's singing he's really happy but he's not a good singer yeah and then and he 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 dresses and he's not a really great dresser either he is shy he's he's not particularly mean or aggressive or kind or he's just kind of you know he's he's just there He's innocent. But, yeah. you, you know, like to, to that effect, um, I don't want to get straight into, you know, one of the controversies of the film. But one of the interesting things is we didn't mention the director. Emmanuel uh, Olmi. Yeah, Olmi. And he so this movie, he made it actually while he was working at a large company, the Edison Company, which was the largest electricity company at the time in Italy. And so he was a documentary filmmaker for this Edison Company, this electricity company. Yeah. And, and then he asked the company if he could shoot on the premise uh, in on weekends. So it's actually shot in his own office space. And yeah, he had decided it does that, feel like a documentary, even if it's not. Yeah, yeah. He was making like industrial films, like documentary films. But he would add like... So this movie is very uh, close to your life. Yeah, yeah. Like it's really interesting to see an artist who is like... So he wanted to reflect his life in that company, which he had decided by the time he made this film... 
he was gonna quit you know like that this was like he couldn't yeah. go on any longer he quits when he's 33 he goes on to make successively um you know some some more films but the the other thing is he was really obsessed with reflecting his own reality he refers to the movie as a personal ethnography yeah and, uh, and i think this is one of those films that it, this is 50 years after the fact or even 70 years it's from 1961 i can't believe yeah. how fast time goes but well we weren't alive then yeah but but <laughs> so if you see the movie 10 years later you think about it as a, a portrait of a person but i think 70 years later it's a portrait of a time more like mm, you're like yeah. oh i can't believe people did a b no, c no definitely and D. Also a portrait of a culture because, yeah. and, and, I th- and I think he was obsessed with that because he, uh, like you're in, I love the scenes where they're like at the cof- cafe or the coffee yeah, shop. Yeah. They're walking along the street. You know, it's you also get this that idea. They're, they're like, maybe we can describe that they're doing a weird job interview, which is very impersonal. They, they get their eyes checked and they have to answer questions that are strange and not, uh, it, it, it seemed at the time it was such an economic growth. It just, if you're not, uh, Blind or deaf, you get the job. That that's how it felt. The job. Yeah, interview. the test. The te- the job interview is funny, and I was comparing it to like how we do job interviews today. And at first, I was like, "This is absurd." Uh, you know, like they have to do a math equation, and then there's all these like physical tests, like yeah. they have to do squats. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in a group like, setting, I think that's what's weird. I think we're used to a job interview is you talk to a person. Yeah, and and meanwhile they never get to even know the salary or the job they're going to get. Just we'll give you a job. You'll get you'll get some money. You yeah. have to guess what it's going to be. And and uh, but a, a big part of the movie and that's also maybe about that time is uh, the dad even says this job is not going to pay you well, but you'll have a job for life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's Which there's no something... question that now like this is going to be fulfilling. You're going to make the world a better place. They're going to have kombucha, like none of that. But that's ultimately what the movie ends up kind of. That's the tension in the movie where you have the he meets this this young woman and they spark. They have it. There's a spark between them. At first, I was like, "Is this reciprocal?" But it does seem like it's super reciprocal. <laughs> and then, uh, and then ultimately, though, like the job is like the opposite of that. Like it's this other world where he's forced to not pursue the the excitement of you know, the day he spent with this woman during the interview process. Um, and I, I should mention, they both have names, but they they almost, they only mention their names like once in the film. It's like h- halfway through the movie, right? Well, so it, it, what I was trying to get at, so they, they have the weird job interview and then he goes outside and he's thinking, oh, I'm going to make some money. And he goes to a clothing store and looks at the window and she runs into him and they sort of talk to each other and she says that she likes modern clothes more casual not the old-fashioned style um and they t- and then they go to the the cafeteria or the um, they go to yeah, the cafeteria and smell cafe. like fried food but after that they want to have a coffee and it seems that they're not used to getting coffee in a cafe yet that's a new thing normally you have that at home yeah. and they're kind of shy at the counter how to do it so it feels like also a coming-of-age film uh but a lot of why I chose this film is sort of a lot of American movies are about the teenage years, but they're all about anger and aggression. And this is more like, oh, I don't know how to order a coffee yet. And that just seems <laughs> closer to how I grew up. I wasn't like, oh, I want to burn everything down, but more like, oh, how, how does that work? Well, I think it's definitely the ethnography, like you said, of a time and of a particular uh, person, right? And different people have different experiences. And so I think, um, 
you know, in terms of capturing the director's experience, it, it makes it makes sense. And 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 to be honest, like they do, they there are some polit like not to make it political, which you hate, but like there are some political tensions in that he yeah. is not from like a wealthy family. He's living just outside of Milan. That's part and, and of why I chose the movie too, because it it, it seems. Um what I'm getting at, maybe, is that if, if you look at something like the newest Star Wars, they're trying to make the cast more diverse and etc. But the storyline is the same in the sense that it's, it's impossible things that are out of reach. Like, you can't mm-hmm. fly in the air and make things kinetically move around with your mind and lightsabers and then you just murder yeah. people. That's not normal life. <laughs> and so I think it's very uncomfortable for people to look at the screen not necessarily poor people, but people that are not remarkable. So they're not super poor, but they're just kind of at the lower rank. They're not the most sparkling people. I think in a modern film, someone would always excel at something, whether it's yeah. violence or dancing. And it's like, yeah, I'm from the streets, but I'm an insane dancer and I'm the best one and I'm going to make it to the top and whatever. And that that's what interests me the most yeah. in this movie, that he is just not... Uh, well, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the other interesting things is Olmi was so obsessed with getting with the reality of this thing. And he also was poor. Like he, he sold his uh, one of it, like a home, like a house that he had to make the movie. Yeah. And, but and all the staff was volunteer staff. There were people he worked with at work. But the, the actors um, were actually not professional actors. They were recent graduates from technical school. So he'd hang out outside of the technical schools in the area. So, so these would be the type of people that would apply for the job that they get in the movie. Yeah. <clears throat> and his, his view was that you see everything, all the hopes and dreams in an actor's face, you, you know, in, in a character's face, you see it in, in their face. Like when, and you can acting that is really hard because you have to recreate the reality in your head to get to that face. And he talks about, I just thought I'd bring this up, which is kind of funny. He talks about like, in some of these in, in early Italian films, you know, they tried to cast these big stars like Rosalini and they put her in a factory and they just put like a little bit of grease on her face. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this beautiful yeah. woman in a factory and it makes no sense. I think it's the um, worst when the in older Hollywood movies, when they have a, a white person playing a, an Egyptian in ancient Egypt and they just put a little tanning uh, cream on their face. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely the worst thing. That you, and you, <laughs> they would never, you know, it actually still kind of happens. Like there, I think there was that... Uh, what was that movie? Was Ghost like in the about, Shell with the... Oh, yeah, Ghost Scarlet in the Shell was a recent example. Of Scorsese. Stuff yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. But, but so I'm interested in the idea in this movie of not the anti-hero being an, an immortal, uh, immoral badass, but the anti-hero just being kind of unspectacular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and, he, he, the, does, he does seem like a hero, or like the, he's the focus of the film, and you do start to... You you get a connection and you want things to go well and no it it feels it it feels great um, don't, you know maybe what I'm also don't you think that even though the movie is not spectacular it's quite entertaining but here's what I wanted to say it's super entertaining but the other thing is I don't think I think you would cringe if like Scorsese made this film and I, I mentioned Scorsese just because I know I he's think like Scorsese a fan used of all a lot of ideas from this I, film I know I know yeah. <laughs> I know like or let's say like if James Cameron made it because. Uh, ultimately, like I, at least for me, anyway, watching it, I was like, it was comforting to know that this was Olmi's life. You know, that he was kind of recreating yeah, it a yeah, little yeah. bit. I mean, obviously, he was not. Well, what if Larry the, David made the film? 
Because <laughs> well, he, he had a bunch in... of shitty jobs. Like, what if Larry David made yeah. a movie about a young taxi driver? That'd which be fine. He, he was at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, both are fine, but I think it lend it lended something to me that I, I, it felt like I don't know. It felt like um, like there's a certain charm to it uh, the, in that the, regard. There's a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting. It's like a, someone who analyzes movie shots, mm-hmm. and he talks about the sort of calm way of of uh, acting and not too much movement for certain moments so if you remember the movie Fargo at the end the husband of the police officer the female Mm -hmm. police officer he's a painter and he makes these paintings of birds that he's hoping he'll get an image on a stamp okay and then uh, at the end of the movie he's like well they selected me for the three cent stamp but not for the uh, (laughs) five cent which is more used or whatever and then the wife they're sitting in bed together she's like you know what Every year they change the postage and they always need that three cent stamp and then so it's a great thing and then they they just fall asleep together. And it's like a very quiet scene. the The TV is is in the background and it's just very real. And then in the every frame yeah. of painting, he he uh, juxtaposed that to a scene from a movie by Michael Bay where they talk about the simple things are important. So it's two actors but incredibly handsome, like way too beautiful sitting next to each other it's like you know in the end it's the simple things that matter but behind them there's like a speedboat going at maximum velocity <laughs> and a skydiver and there's like bikini girls in the background and it's, so i think michael bay is is the opposite of this yeah like if he made yeah. this that the the office kid would be like tattooed and is a bodybuilder and uh uh there would be hot girls everywhere and there would be like light coming through the window at just the right moment and water reflecting and glitter and uh, and then a bomb would go off in the building and yeah well i did find the the movie like you know you know kept the pace going throughout like without a lot of conflict and i know this is obviously a, yeah we a talked about Mad conflict Max. yeah yeah, and the the there is still conflict in the movie, which is the conflict of him feeling rejected. Uh, I think potentially by the girl, is she going to accept me or is uh, she going to reject me? Yeah, and and you're kind of also in this conflict of will you know you know anxiety that he's going to because you know you're probably not his age if you're watching this. You've already had to take that job, and you're like ten years along, or in my case, like twenty years along. You're like, no, stop, <laughs> turn, get turn, out of there, turn the- back. <laughs> um, it's like watching a like, car crash. Yeah, exactly, and 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 so it's quite funny too in that way. You're chuckling at you know, oh my god, I can remember my first job interview, and yeah. apparently the job first job interview in this film is based on his job interview because eventually he gets through that that process. And um, and by the way, the people at Edison Company, they were worried that the film made them look too old and obsolete, like a Victorian company. So it's a bit exaggerated. Um, but the director, obviously, when he had got his first job was even it was sooner than 1960. But what, what Regar- I also found interesting about the movie is that, yeah. um, OK, the pay is not great. But at the time in Europe, there were a lot of benefits to jobs. So you would get things like a pension. And you wouldn't have a lot of money your whole life, but you would have security. So if you're frugal, you're like, okay, I can rent a place and maybe buy something. I can, my kids can go to college. And those are all the things that are crumbling now. Like you're an Uber driver and all of a sudden there's nothing and you don't have a retirement or whatever. So Mm -hmm. to a lot of people watching this movie, that office job seems pretty chill. It's like, oh, I can just take my time. They have lunch time. Yeah. They get paid to have lunch. (laughs) <laughs> wow they don't have lunch at the same time yeah and so things sad. like that it's like oh they don't have to pee in a bottle 
that's pretty good. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say, like, in contrast to if, if you work in a technology company, you've worked in an office that, that seems pretty amazing. But you can see hints of that kind of, you know, the beginning of building the cultures that we now make fun of. <clears throat> technology companies that has also that have also yeah, evaporated the, the, in the last thirty days. I don't think the tech jump com- jobs are comparable at all because those are all more conceptual jobs. Mm, like, I don't know. No, but it, I think they require more education. This is really more the equivalent of an Uber driver. I think not. I, like okay, I think I'll, I'll make an argument for just a second, which is like like, like a which lot of job thing- in tech could you get if you're fifteen and you haven't finished high school? But that would ignore that in the movie, there's like all of these, there's this artifice to placate the idea that you're not making progress. So they're, they're like, for example, the last scene where there is a conflict, he gets, he finally gets promoted into his first, the real position that he's waiting for in the office. And he, he gets a, a desk at the front of this like classroom row of desks. Also because closest- the person who was sitting there killed himself. <laughs> Yeah, which is also closest to the window. And then the guys at the back who have been with the company for 20 years, one of them's like, this is ridiculous. I've been waiting 20 years. I have I have to use a lamp. My I'm losing my eyesight. I want to be at the front. I want to get closer to the window. And then he knows he's like, I'm a, I can't won't stand for this. And he goes and talks to the supervisor. He's like, you have to fix this. This is an injustice. This kid can't go straight to the head of the line. And the supervisor's like, okay. And he like, he's like, you cannot sit here because of seniority. And he sits into the back. But meanwhile, the rest of the staff scrambles to de- get the desk. Yeah, and, it's and funny because the, the, the whole scene reminds me so much of a classroom, the, the way the clerks are set up. Yeah, but I would say like in um, working in a company for 10 years as I have, I've, you know, when someone leaves and opens up an opportunity, there is still this clamor to take on yeah. that responsibility or get that status. A but lot of I do those, think, like, I do think that jobs in tech uh, are much more uh, high end than these jobs. But all I'm saying is it's like shinier bubbles, you know, like, for example, the Christmas party or the New Year's party. You know, he gets a bottle of champagne when he arrives. I've never received a bottle of champagne. Actually, yeah. I do. I get a bottle of champagne every year. That's like the gift. That but it's also I Italy, so I think uh, they might not get money, but they get good food. So. Yeah, but you know, like th- there's also some funny stuff in the movie. It's like the company is being very generous. They're going to allow men and women to kiss on the lips if they're married <laughs> on, on when we ring the bell. I don't know, but I, all of the thing, the the thing that I I think if you just replace it with like video games and ping pong tables, the company is yeah. very generous. Yeah. And now there's chocolate in the kitchen. Um, yeah, it's not but, that. But maybe different. what I mean is, uh, what. Since menial administrative jobs, like the most uncreative part of office life uh, gets automated first. Mm-hmm. So whatever our repetitive tasks, they were basically doing sp- what spreadsheets can do now. Yeah, like probably. she's a typist and he's like a messenger. Yeah. messenger. So he's literally email in the movie. Those jobs <laughs> have been automated for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I don't know, the, the, in that sense, the movie is very fascinating to me that the, uh, we might look back 50 years later and be like, oh, there were coders. That's all automated now. Or mm-hmm. what, whatever is the next step. Yeah, but I mean, Mark, what Mark says is like, you know, whatever job you have is built on top of the dead labor of the previous job, right? So mm-hmm. all of our dead labor becomes automation. Um, you know, we work to create new machines that other people work on top of. And so we have to acknowledge that we work on top of a mountain of dead people and all of their and their entire lives. It's kind of a 
weird things. <laughs> it's like, just imagine yourself on work. You're on top of a, like a large heap of skeletons and uh, yeah. they've worked their whole lives for nothing. But they haven't. They've had lives. And I think that's one of the things that's beautiful about the film, too, which is only saying like, I noticed that in at the Edison Company when I worked there, the first thing I noticed was like, it's amazing. Like people that were retired would come by and yeah. say hi to their colleagues and stuff. And, and there's a whole world inside of these offices that's like separate from the world he, that exists outside of them. And that's the beauty of this film that he, all those things are in the movie, but I actually watched the movie first and then read a little bit and then watched it again. And there were a lot of things I didn't notice. So there's a scene where you see the eight clerks in the small room and they're yeah. doing their daily work and they're kind of teasing each other and they're like, oh, I think he's gay and they're making fun of a guy who's kind of quiet. And then oh, yeah, you're turns- not allowed. And also that's one of the requirements. You're not allowed to be gay in this office, yeah. which is like a, sh- a huge <laughs> Different time. culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. But they, then they film the guy, at, uh, most of those clerks at home and one has an affair with a woman and he has to hide and... One is a singer in his private life, and he at the office party he wants to sing, but they don't think his style is appropriate. And one of them is a writer, and he sort of li- is living in a room and board, kind of depressing life. And uh, his landlady is kind of mean to him, and he's he's kind of a tragic figure. And then all of a sudden, it's his desk that becomes available, and they don't really show him killing mm. himself, but it's kind of implied. And uh, but it, that thing you talk about, like. The job is is sort of soulless and crushing, and if you're there as an artistic person, there's no place for for your creative energy, and then he tries to do that at home, and then finally they clean up his desk, and they're like dividing things. Is this company property or personal property? Oh, yeah. And then they see this this, uh, draft of his novel. It's like chapter 19. Okay, that looks private. And they just put it in a pile. Yeah. But nobody cares. Personal. Yeah. (laughs) It's like pencil. (laughs) company <laughs> yeah. yeah the division of like personal life and business life is that's very starkly presented there as well and but the, the there's no music uh there's no background music in the film like the way i don't know what you call it there's only mu- music that's performed oh the, it's diegetic so the, diege, the diegesis is like the sound in the film comes from the film world or film yeah. environment right? yeah there's no fake yeah. layer the glued on top and but there are scenes where one of the clerks is at a sort of cafe with a bunch of older men and he sings a fun sort of beautiful song. He's kind of an amateur opera singer. And then there's the company party and someone sings a funny song about a chocolate car. Maybe you can tell people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's just like at at the at the party there's um there's a band, a live band and they there's like, you know, an entertainer that gets things kicked off and he Start singing a song, and you know, I think in a movie, it does bring a life to the party. Like that, that's yeah, the moment a, when people in start a movie dancing. As, in a movie as sparse as this, you notice every little thing. I think, and so this this song is about you know his car, his old car, and how beat up it is. And then he goes on to basically like <laughs> like be, kind of tell a racist joke, like the Russians ate the trunk or something, yeah. and then the Polish <laughs> ate the windshield, or the British the Germans ate the, ate the chairs. <laughs> And it turns out my car was made of chocolate and everyone's laughing. (laughs) Anyway, it does break the tension in a a weird way. Um, But I guess you also get a sense that there was sort of a monoculture that was built uh, in that company and then in um, probably in Italy uh, post-war as well. But Uh, everyone everyone has come from the same place. One of the things that's interesting to me in a a calm film or a film that's not so uh, turned up to 11... If you can compare this to something like uh, The Office, the UK version, 
mm-hmm. uh, with the famous cringy boss David Brent and Ricky Gervais playing him. That mo- th- that TV show is is so high on the cringe thing. I get, a lot of people can't watch it. <laughs> but this movie yeah. has a bunch of cringy stuff. But it's it's the the, the idea that you're too early at a party. And yeah, you're sitting yeah. there and there's not and you don't know which table to sit at. But it doesn't go all the way into. Or your mom is yelling at you like that. You're you know you're you're such a, a worthless human being. <laughs> <or something like that. laughs> You'll never, yeah. You're gonna get your jacket dirty, which uh, you know obviously we've all experienced. Like mom, I can put a I can wear a jacket. Like you don't, <laughs> you know, like going shopping with your mom for your first yeah. office clothes is one of the scenes. Um, and, and it's not that I think. Uh, subtle movies are better than action movies or whatever but I do think that this is a kind of movie that is very difficult now in the time that reality is already so uh, Mm. insanely intense Mm -hmm. that uh, you can't imagine making a movie that's calmer than reality yeah I mean I I was going to say something you know on the the flip side I think like you know uh, quite often this idea of accelerationism um, that things are moving faster and faster is actually more pers- more of a sort of a illusion than it is a reality, right? And it's it's based on perception and perception. Well, it's a sales pitch, that, right? It's to get investors excited <clears throat> to a certain extent, and also for us to feel out of control means that we have to purchase things that help us be in control. It's actually in if you're in marketing, you know, you 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 call it the painkiller, and you're look you want to you want to make sure that the world. Can, you know that there's a lot of pain in the world because then you can sell the solution to that mm. pain and you also want to one of the things that you know especially large companies want to sell is this idea that the, everything is spinning out of control and we're gonna you know car companies do this really well we're gonna create a safety bubble for you but do you think uh do you think that the 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 ones that are selling stuff the advertisers are telling the news crank it up so people get more scared or it just happens to all go in that direction it's not even a a conscious effort of a puppet master well it's been well known like you know for a very very long time hold on the ac just jumped on just a sec that's a reality button on the right put it in the middle It'll take a second for it to turn off. I think we should. You should keep that in. It's a little slice of life. Okay. Well, there we had a I little spectacular it. slice of life. The AC. There was a little good. security alarm that went off simultaneously. Yeah. Now, what I was going to say is, um, you know, in the movie, they're shot. There's the, you know, when they're waiting between job interview stages, they go kind of shopping and they browse, you know, various consumer goods. Um, yeah, a big part is he, it's never really told how much he's making, but he's still living at home, so he'll have some more cash for himself to buy fun stuff. And he talks about he wants a motorcycle and he wants to buy it with his dad. And then yeah. also his mom takes him to a store to get a new coat for work because it might rain. And she wants to buy him a very practical coat. But there's another coat in the store that is the fashionable one that his love interest was like, I like that style. So he wants to buy that to meet her, and then she'll like him more. But he can't afford it, right? Yeah, but then his first paycheck comes, and he buys it, and then people make comments. His his, his new coat is a bit too flamboyant, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm all I'm saying is like um, one of the ways the, the film presents consumerism as you know 
a, it's a reason why, yeah, but it's a reason why you'll make this sacrifice. Like, what are you going to do with your first paycheck? What are you going to do with your first, you know, amount of money that you that you have? Yeah. And I'm well, I'm going to accumulate these goods, kind of thing. But um, I, I do think that's sometimes a a sort of weird. Uh, in the art world, it's always rich people that tell you, oh, don't focus on money. You don't need sales. What you need to focus <laughs> on is being in the right crowd and whatever, because they, they have the money. So it's, it's a very privileged thing to say, like, oh, you don't need money. You're above that. And uh, if you can't afford housing or education, then a little treat every now and then is... Uh, well, I saw um, a, an analysis that I'm not sure if I agree with. <clears throat> just before I got on the podcast, I was just kind of seeing what other people were saying um, these these two guys were commenting on those scenes in the film. They're like, well, have you noticed that um, you never see the goods? Like the camera is always in the position of the consumer good. So the camera is the stove or the camera is the like behind the coffee uh, shop stand. Like it's always, and so you always see their faces and it's like, so the audience is the consumer good, which mm. I thought was kind of interesting um, in that like we're already on the other side. And we're like, hey, I want what you have. So what ends up happening is that the young couple becomes like our object of desire, like to be back in that position, you know, but, and, to ha- and to have this opportunity to kind of restart or go through that or be back in that naive but, state but, uh, before uh, you had worries. I just want to counter this this thought that people in fear buy more. Uh, I don't know if that's true that in times of uh, economic downturn, the people buy more because usually when people feel comfortable, they buy more. I thought. Yeah. And and this is a um, this was an economic boom for Italy, the economic miracle that branded it with that term. No, you're, yeah, you're so right. It was a and very positive time. the birth of the middle time. class. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and it, I I remember seeing an interview with uh, Johnny Rotten, the singer of the Sex Pistols, and he came you, up. You often I, reference you often reference this interview as yeah. <laughs> foundational for you. Well, it's just funny because he, he, uh, they started in 1977 and the story was like London was a big pile of trash and everybody was desperate and there was no future. And then the journalist was like, if you look at the data, that was the most egalitarian time in the history of the UK when there was a lot of uh, opportunity, structure and retirement and free healthcare and all those things that were new and it, it wasn't so neoliberal yet. But it felt different, so that's maybe what's interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. My parents, you know, similarly <clears throat> around that era, they moved to Toronto. They bought their first house, and then like two years later, they bought their next house, and then they bought like an office building. I was like, "How did you do that so quickly?" <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, well, things were changing really fast, and it was like, you know, yeah, they were things on were clients and buildings like, were cheap then. Yeah, and it was and, also the and, decrepit city, and yeah." Well, you know, it, they did. They, they'll talk about their struggle, but I think one of the obviously we live in this era now where there's that kind of okay boomer attitude, which is that our parents, <clears throat> or if you're of the baby boomer generation, I don't want to, I don't want to characterize our audience as being not baby boomer, or maybe we have some baby boomer listeners. My mom maybe listens, but that they had it easier than today's uh, generation and are used to like scolding. But even in this film, they have the generation that would have been alive then, which is like. Um, the pre-war generation, and uh, and they're all talking about how kids these days, <laughs> you know, they you, know, you you have to you have to really get them under control because they're so self-entitled, yeah. and and so I think it's like it's that's just a cyclical kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think there's a text of Plato complaining that the teenagers don't want to learn anything and they don't read anymore. And yeah, yeah, it's like 
you know, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever in Greek or medieval times, I'm sure that whomever, you know, that Adam and Eve were really out but of then, control. Like, <laughs> yeah, but there is the um, the way a time can feel and the way a time is. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you look back and you're like, oh, we were really worried, but that was actually one of the most... Uh, like your grandma was saying, you should wish for a boring life. Yeah. Because yep, she yep. went through a lot of hardship. And then he's basically presented like, boring you're not going to get yeah. rich, but you'll have a job for life. You'll have a pension. You have a little home and uh, it's fine. And uh, so maybe we'll look back and maybe at the time this movie was like, oh, this is the despair of office life. And then yeah. 50 years later, you're like, wow, they got it made. I guess the one thing, because this is obviously like what everyone would talk about if they saw this film, but one of the things that really stood out to me while I was watching it, um, and sorry, not to discount that point, because I think it's the right point to make, but the the moments that I enjoyed most in this film were actually like the micro moments, like of uh, like uh, how everyone I watched everyone pour different amounts of sugar into their coffee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the movie, also I realized that hey, it's not bad to put sugar in an espresso, as Italian friends <laughs> have scolded me for it. It's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> but uh, like you know, I'm not ruining the coffee. But other stuff like the yeah, older they're woman, both, like they're, they're trying to carry the coffee from the counter to to drink drops it. Drops a spoon, but they're yeah. not sure where to drink it. And then they see someone sitting at a table, and they're like, "Oh, I guess it's okay to sit at a table." And the the cup and the saucer are already covered in coffee from just getting through the crowd, and the coffee spilled everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So if I, if I could get like no, I I, point, I know my, what you my mean. Point would, like, my point what would I really like, love is yeah. this idea of an awkward teenager trying to become adult and not rebelling, but just being like okay, I finished the coffee. Do I just leave this on the table or should I bring it back to the counter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's a whole like movie yeah. in that caf- cafe scene. And same thing at the cafeteria when he sits next to an old lady and she has a sandwich and she takes the meat meat out of the sandwich and puts it in a napkin for later. And she says, it's, you know, getting old's no fun. I have yeah, no teeth. teeth. I can't hurt. eat the meat, yeah. you know. Well, she brings um, it home for her children. Yeah. Yeah. And in that moment, you know, for me anyway, it was like, flashbacks to my mother doing the same thing we'd go out for dinner i'd be so embarrassed she'd wrap up parts of the food in the restaurant in napkins and well slip we've them never in encountered food shortages in our life no i know but like these little mom- micro moments i think in the film are very special and also just the looks between uh the t- the couple as they're like and even okay like one of the most beautiful scenes is she's caught they're trying to cross the street and there's a lot of traffic and then he gets across like i would do this he runs across the street you know dodges traffic but then he realizes oh no i left her behind he goes back across the street and he grabs her hand to bring her across the street now i will say i did this thing and that's why i'm married to Kristen today oh, okay. um because i was in london and we were out together on our first date and then my first, the first time I held hands with her, and we're about to celebrate our 10 year anniversary, it's kind of emotional. Congratulations. Was that I helped her cross a busy street uh, in London. And I know that's really super heteronormative of me, but it was also like, no, I don't know, it, that's, that's, you were trying to help someone that doesn't, but these, that's not these night, like, yeah, like let's take it out of the business context and put it in the context of a human life and a human life that's built with love and companionship. These, those little moments in this film were so pure. Yeah. And so authentic. And and then I found out Olmi actually marries this woman. <laughs> so, the actress, yeah. So the actress in the film. She is um, a very, uh, she has a very likable, like a, she's, she's not overtly like a, a bombshell. 
but there's something very lively about her that you're like, oh, I want to spend time with her. Yeah, Loredano Detto. So we, the people know her name. Or, yeah, that's her name, right? And, and yeah, I think so. And, um, and, and then Sandra I'm saying she's Pateri. not overly sexualized. Nothing is overly sexualized, but it's, uh, everything's subtle. It, yeah. there's just, there's a, it feels very much like... What was cr- incredible for me is like I could imagine my parents on their first date. And because the movie's made in the 1960s, it's like, you know, we have this illusion that our lives are different from the lives of our parents or our grandparents. And also there's a lot of shit that goes down in each, like you mentioned, in each era or time. But the thing that doesn't change, I think that's really beautifully represented in this film, is that, you know, those first moments of um, human connection and like that, that's, you're so nervous about it. And he has both the nerves of his first job, but it's really... Also, the only th- reason he goes through the interview process is so he can see her again, you get the feeling. Because he didn't want to get out of bed at the start of the film, but by the end, he's like running into the office. He's the yeah. first one there, right? It, it does feel like this, this movie was made almost like an autobiography of the director. And he didn't. Yeah, it is. But I don't think he said, oh, he's going to have more energy because he met the girl. I think he just, it's like, he just made the movie and afterwards the psychoanalysts were like you did that because of that you did that because of that <laughs> well it's worth noting that you know sandro passeri the, the the guy in the movie he actually didn't do any other movie after this he became a manager at a grocery store in his in his lifetime he started as a clerk in the grocery store and eventually progressed into a management role in the grocery store and so uh, it doesn't I'm get this more just, real than that yeah, like, you know, exactly. Like, the characters in the film, I think, really do... There's almost even, like, I think probably... It's weird that the director married <laughs> the actress. There's, like, a little bit of a power relationship there. But at the same time, I could imagine the two actors actually having spent the rest of their lives together after the film. And I think that's, like, a... I don't know why we're... In a I'm sense, maybe that, that the, the actor maybe had a crush on the actress, but the actress was more interested in the director. And that might have brought the realness into the film. Well, you know, like in my own work, and we can, and I think in yours as well, where I'm often within these cons, I build these constructs, right, to allow myself permission to um, to to tell my, you know, my story. And what's kind of beautiful about this film is there's almost no artifice necessary for those moments, right? Like. Um, there's no, they don't need like a vec. There's no vectorization to use your analogy from your work, or there's no augmented reality. Um, and mm. I don't. I, I, and the other thing I, I struggle with sometimes is like I, I find it so beautiful, but I find like I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do it well. Like, and I think you have to. I, I think we discount that reality sometimes. And when what, we, what do you mean, like we, making a film? Making a film that feels real, which oh, okay. is the, uh, the premise of this podcast, I think is extremely difficult. We but take for it, granted. It is funny how when hard you that is. when you compare this to um, uh, filmmaking is a very economic medium. So you you have to approach it, and you're part of a system and funding and audience and all these things. And maybe at the time in Europe, films were more regional, so there wasn't the pressure to make a movie that appeals to a very large audience and the more micro ma- micro financing and things like that. And then when you make a movie like Lord of the Rings, which might have started out by the writer as a personal project, but there's a similar scene in Lord of the Rings where they have elf bread and then they talk about who stole the last piece of elf bread. And it's kind of similar to someone taking a piece of ham from the cafeteria and bringing it home for her children. <laughs> yeah. You know, like th- there are those similar moments in there, but then 
you have to have explosions and time travel and uh, you have to have an ensemble cast and war scenes and just to bring everyone in from the whole world um, one thing you know like, one thing I, it's like, I, I yeah it's like mcdonald's like you have to uh, put more salt so everybody likes it was the thought experiment though like to your point if everything is was is action all the time you become numb to it and you're seeking maybe something that's more real like if uh if i was to if if every movie was like a scene in mcdonald's or from a coffee shop where people putting on their shoes or something yeah. would we be craving something else? oh yeah for sure um, yeah but i i'm reminded that like, no i i, I uh, think if, if you were trapped somewhere and like you were in a artistic uh, political film festival for a year you'd be like oh please i, I just want to watch a michael bay film well because i have a video art background like obviously i've watched a lot of really banal um really long uh like scenes of nothing slice of and, life and honestly that was like you know for uh, you know for a long time i only saw that in video art and then you know because i don't have a film degree i hadn't seen i hadn't seen this film or other films like this but even the idea of an edit, by the way, in my like life as a video, um, yeah, it would be impure. This would be like, by the way, too much happens in this film. If you're mm-hmm. a video artist, yeah. like, you're like, hey, try watching four hours of Matthew Barney or something. And I wouldn't even put him in the video art category. But um, yeah, so I think like it's interesting for me to like come at this because I'm putting my little film hat on. But my video art hat says like, actually, I have watched like scenes from you know, uh, Turkey, the, it's an hour of watching grass blowing in the wind or something like yeah. that. And I've really enjoyed it. Then at other times I've been frustrated by it. But like the, I used to, when, I used to you, watch every frame. When you, uh, when you go to the realm of video art where you sort of approach moving image as a painting, so it's, it's something that you can walk into halfway and the grass will be blowing for an hour and it doesn't really matter if you see the last 20 minutes or, or you get in the middle or you see it right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's very different than a movie with a beginning and an ending. Well, even like in, you know, obviously experimental film was taking this idea much further. I think I've mentioned on the podcast a few times, like Canadian filmmaker Michael Snow made films like Wavelength, where it's a single zoom, you know, zoom in and out within a room, in a room, like, you know, with a wind, there's a show, there's a window and whatever there's. So you get, you're, it's mostly just ambient sound and light. Like, and my, some of the first stuff I made when I was a student was just like, watching the shadows i remember just being fascinated by watching light and shadow and trying to get that in a recording you know and it could be like 15 minutes 20 minutes and i but that's almost like a that's a lot of inanimate objects i think that's the, a big difference. i think the point i'm trying to make is this movie this movie was called the um hear the trumpets or something like that in, in the united states or the the sound of trumpets and you know the analogy being that in the beginning of the film the the boy's in bed and the mother's like it's late at night and she's like, go to sleep or not even the sound of trumpets is going to wake you up in the morning. And this idea of that we need to be woken up is about learning to see, like that's the way I'm reading it anyway. Mm-hmm. And the, what this film tries to do is, hey, wake up, like s- look at the world around you, realize what lies ahead and what lies behind you and, and, and the context you're in. But I think as artists, we take for granted that we have this, you know, it's we're told Go out and like perceive, like go out and actually look at light and shadow for two hours or whatever. Most people never get a chance to do that in their lifetime. And but I also assume I don't want to assume that they don't. Like I don't want to assume that you know a ninety-year-old woman doesn't sit in the cafe and watch the couple and their coffee and really enjoy that micro moment. 
Um, yeah, or but don't wanna... people have different things they nerd out on. You think? Yeah, like like maybe someone is into fashion and they know all about different textures of of uh, the warp and how it feels, or maybe someone's really into football and they find a lot of beauty and how that's played. And they might not be able to use the same words as you do, but I guess a lot of people perceive something. Well, you know that piece like by John Cage, four minutes and thirty three seconds, right? So you know, same time by the way, same timeline, nineteen sixties, uh, John Cage, American composer. He does does a piece of work where he sits down in Harvard Square with a piano and doesn't play a single note, right? He's surrounded by hundreds of people. This is like a, you know, time of fluxus, uh, artists that were like trying to create experiences. The concert ends up being the ambient sound of Harvard Square, right? So in that moment, you know, John Cage is saying like, hey, like, listen to the world around you. There's a film happening right now. Um, there's a, There's a concert in his case. There's an orchestra, and it's the cars going by, it's the coughs and sneezes. What's really interesting about that, too, is that like I started doing that in, which I can't do now, frankly, but I started doing that in talks that I would give. Uh, I'd give lectures, right, or or give business talks at conferences, like design talks. And one of, like, actually, my favorite time to do, and I think I've mentioned this on a podcast, is to go to like a design conference, get up in front of everyone and say, actually, we're going to spend the first four minutes and 33 seconds, which at a conference feels like a lifetime or an eternity, just listening to each other. But every time I do it, the audience is like moved to like, like this great excitement. (laughs) And to to your point about like, you know, does a lot need to happen for it to be exciting, I think is a really great point and um, reminds me that like, actually, no, for it to be exciting, you just need to listen, you know, you just need to open your eyes uh, to what's around you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm careful to sort of create a hierarchy and say that quiet is more important than spectacular or things like that, and and that everyone has to learn to sit down and look calmly. I don't I don't know if that's the solution for everyone, but it's more for me personally that uh, I love a lot of action movies. I really do, and seeing them in the theater. But at some point, you've seen so many that you you know exactly what's going to happen all the time. And this movie. It was more on the edge of my seat than watching Star Wars because I'm really like, what's going to happen next? And it's kind of it's so real that you start to be like, oh no, I don't want that to happen. I don't want, and you really feel yeah. with him in a way that, yeah, Luke Skywalker is going to fall down a, 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 yeah. a, a factory or f- fly through the the. He, there's but, only two he, inches for his aircraft, and he's going to get right through it, and he's going to find Darth Vader and. But, but I, here's like a here's a speculation for you and our peers though, which is like because we make a lot of digital art, the same like the same feeling that we have to make a lot of things happen in our digital art, you know, like you know if it's glitch, it's got to be like how many glitches per second, or if it's edits, or even windows opening and closing, or how many tabs you have open on your browser, are like are there good examples that you could share of like slow digital art, like? you know, if we're going to talk about slow film or I think you've done it, like where you've captured the layout of Twitter in color and stripped away, you know, the characters. I I think, uh, I do think that painting and uh, finding a still form for that sometimes is more freezing perception than when you're making software. But there are a lot of people who make ambient software or moving images that are slow and uh, long and... Uh, well, I'm just uh, maybe, maybe it's more of a maybe question, it's a more question as far that. as a theme of like 
uh, uh, maybe what pop art was doing is like, yeah, we, we know all these painters that painted the hills of the south of France, but we're really more at gas stations. And so that's what we're going to paint. And so maybe with, with net art, it's like, yeah, we could talk about the history of sculpture, but I'm looking at Twitter and uh, MySpace and TikTok and uh, that's my world. So that that's maybe that calm perception of like, I think well, Guth- Guthrie Lonergan is always good at the, is pointing out the banal and like, right. Uh, he he has this work that is a, a compilation of MySpace intros. So at the time on MySpace, you could embed all kinds of stuff. So people would make a MySpace intro video, and he compiled a bunch of them. And they're very cringy to watch, but they're very <laughs> real. Also, it's like, hello, this is my MySpace page. I hope you like it. Da da da. Right, right, right. And it, it's it's hard to watch, but it's very real. It's like, yeah, we're all saying hello on the internet, and we're trying to find a way that's not too cringy. And yeah, I'm just um, I'm just thinking about it. I get the, in video games, which you think of as like action packed. There's this guy David O'Reilly. He made the video game Mountain, mm-hmm. in which you're just you you play the role of a mountain. <laughs> you yeah. can't move or anything. Like life just high kind of happens. But what's funny is before that he made a lot of high paced glitchy videos. Did he? Oh, Guthrie, you mean? No, uh, David. Oh, O'Reilly. David O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of hyper. And he also, I saw a talk by him once. He's kind of a hyper person. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so maybe he had to de-stress a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in video games, there's a, there's actually quite a few kind of zen like video games. There's that you know a classic. If you were ever like a PlayStation Two player, was like one called Flower, and you kind of just like you know sail around a a field of flowers. But I made a work with Kristen where you just stand in a field in VR, and she's pregnant. But then I've cut her arms off and they're bleeding. Anyway, but I don't think this movie (laughs) is is uh, uh, a. trying to promote sitting down and looking around you it it's it's kind of showing a life that is it's just i think it's trying to show the pros and cons of that life but not saying that it's a bad life so i think you see people that like the office job seems a bit boring but at the same time there's a guy who still comes in every day even though he's retired and he pretends to work like he's he's not getting a paycheck but he just shows up because <clears> there's <throat> nothing else to do well, i think the point there is that just like you know, only says is that this is for these people, this is their reality. This is their world, their city. This is like a little town. And I've experienced that firsthand. Like, you know, I I help um, lead the company I work at fresh books and there are 400 people. And, you know, we do like one of the things that I have to figure out, like this week I did an event where it was like, I got all a hundred and people in our department to do drawing together. And it was like a, you know, yeah, yeah, we just, and I, I just created this like context because we needed to connect. And on Zoom, you can k- create random breakout rooms. So I took 100 people and we we're like, okay, we're going to put you in 20 rooms together. And all you need to do in that time is draw together what you're working on and thinking about. And then they all came back and we had to guess what the drawings were about. Mm. And was uh, it fun? people. People loved it. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was it was a lot of fun, but it, it, it's also not what you're used to doing at work. Yeah. Um, well, that, but, that, that's but, part of what I think this movie shows is that a lot of people think work is something you have to do because you need money. Mm-hmm. But then when you take work away from people and give them money, they might be miserable. It, it gives a lot of purpose. And then even though there are, in the day-to-day there are a lot of frustrations, it's also a sense of belonging and a sense of uh, working together and... And yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, sh- you know, she really wishes that he came and visited her more. And then she's like, I better not stand in the hallway too long or my supervisor is going to get mad. But like all of the little rules add to the tension. And also like, I mean, he looks forward to seeing her and she looks forward to seeing him. And, um, and also the movie feels like it doesn't really end at a conclusion because it, she didn't mm-hmm. show up at the party, but it might be that her parents didn't allow her to come at the party. doesn't mean she doesn't like him. I don't think yeah. there was a moment where she says, sorry, you're not my type. So yeah. there's no, and that's part of what I liked about the movie because life doesn't have conclusions either. I, I would characterize this as a rom-com, by the way, like a romantic comedy. Kind of, right. Because yeah. <laughs> there's, like, there's, there's quite a few chuckling kind of moments like where people get hit in the head with balls of paper or whatever, or like the old couple does something strange. Um, and, and it really, like at times, the furtive glances, it might, you know, might as well be Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think that there's a lot of the DNA that it is later kind of done by Hollywood, but not as like, because you mentioned it, it's a popular reference, right, among filmmakers. But I don't. I thought that this. It, it just seems like what was fresh and exciting about the movie. If my, like my good point or bottom line is that it did. It actually felt like um, it felt more real and contemporary than than than, than more recent attempts that I've seen. Well, yeah, I, so. I think a lot of movies now about office life. Uh, there, what, what comes to mind when I think about movies about office life? There. Extremely cringy and comedic. So um, I think of sketches. Like maybe Amy Schumer had sketches about office life, and then there's the TV show The Office, and there was the movie Office Space, and the the TV show Silicon Valley. And I, I don't know what what examples come to mind for no, you. No, no, those are all good examples. The one thing I always say too, in 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 art, whenever anyone tries to make fun of business, they do a terrible job because like they put on like a suit and tie and have a briefcase. But that's like. That's like only one business only existed that way during one period in the 1980s. Yeah. It hasn't mm. hasn't ever been that way since. So like, hey, artists, like go get a job working in on Wall Street if you want to know what it's like. But it's nothing like that. Like that's that's your satire of something that doesn't exist anymore. I only get I get a little bit politically angry about it because I, I don't like to ignore that most of the world lives this life in an office and the artist somehow presumes themselves to be better than that. Yeah. And there's that tension a little bit in the movie, um, which is like, you know, is this something that you, and I, I, I'm almost counter arguing my former self, but like, is this the life you really want? And should, could, couldn't you just be carefree well, in the street? Most people don't have that option. It's true that uh, maybe a part of this movie is like focusing on someone who's not exceptional. And most movies focus on someone who's exceptional, like the classic idea of a James Bond yeah, movie. Like he's good at karate, like- he gets all the girls, he has the best cars, and we get to be that person for two hours and then go back to our normal life. And so th- the normal life is never appreciated in pop culture. Then and it's it's not like oh wow you did it you you paid your bills on time you were there for your kids that's not a spectacular movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe part of this the interesting part of this film is that it shows like oh they do have fun at the party the people of this company and they're nice people and they go about their lives and but i just think this concept of like lesser or greater lives um is flawed by premise like yeah but you you agree that most movies focus on something that is an exaggeration and that it's basically impossible, like body types that are impossible, wealth mm-hmm. that is impossible. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
they're not they're not reflecting and I, but I, I worry when we use terms like the average life or the average person because my my experience my life experience is that everyone is exceptional um I rarely meet someone that's not exceptional like and it's I find it a personal challenge that I think my mother embedded in me where you could sit down with anyone and have this like, incredible conversation yeah, yeah but we're talking about movies we're talking about Star Wars and, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. true it's true in those contexts I mean, every once it's, in a while in a Hollywood movie, they'll be like, we found this person in the streets of, you know, of of, uh, of Belize, and they're the next big thing. And it's a rag to riches story. Because even, like, even uh, unscripted television, which supposedly would be just a slice of life, mm-hmm. like the real housewives or whatever, they find the craziest people and then put them in situations, be like, okay, we have... We put three alpha males in a room and then take away food and then see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> like we put the bitchiest women together and then make them fight. Well, you're making a good point. We didn't talk shoes. at all. Yeah, this is late in the podcast. But we didn't talk at all about reality television and how unreal. So like if this movie is about let's set up the realistic context as like life in the street and in Italy in the 1960s and in the office, reality television is like let's put real people in extreme circumstances. Yeah, they, yeah. you know, so yeah, I think, I don't know, I read this, I don't know if the show ever happened, but they wanted to make a show where they would put OCD people in the homes of hoarders. Oh. <laughs> so that's where reality TV, but that's not yeah. a realistic. Uh, but I'm also reminded of like the early um, cam experiences, like Jenny Cam and stuff like that, where yeah. people mm-hmm. recorded every aspect of their life. Um, there was one called "We Live in Public," and it, you know, this it was some wealthy that person was in New York. Also, kind of an early phase of net, net art. That is like, I'm going to expose my life. Yeah, and I think even like, was it Elon Musk or someone else who like had one of the PayPal founders? No, I don't think it was Elon Musk that had like that space in New York where you could live for free, but you had to be filmed constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that seems like an early Burning Man era type of art. Yeah, and so there is like, you know, on the flip side, there's this like, this fetishization of capturing the real as if it's like, it's like panning for gold in a a river or something like we can maybe just catch a glimmer of our, of, you know, capture something real about this moment, you know, for future generations. There's there's also the the idea you were talking about, do do normal people have to learn to perceive like artists, uh, that that premise? Uh, (laughs) There's a TV show in the Netherlands where they take a famous or sort of famous person from the Netherlands back to their old classroom with their old classmates from when they were 10 years old. And they talk about the old days. So there's a Dutch author, Gerard Reve, and they take him back to his class. And he's a sort of classical, uh, troubled artist who writes about the dark side of psychology and whatever. So. He talks about how sad it was growing up in the 60s and all the misery and misunderstandings and how hard life was. And then they interview the people in his class. It's like, oh, it was such a cozy time and we were just playing outside <laughs> all the time. And it was great. There were no cars in our neighborhood. So we would ju- I would just be exhausted at the end of the day because I had played so much and I had so many friends. And he was like, oh, it was just nothing but pain. And <laughs> so there's, so there's something to the artist type that was too much time on their hands that can go towards the depressive and the uh, I don't know I just read it I read it as everyone everyone has a different experience of reality like everyone is perceiving right now like and we're in a particularly chaotic time it seems like but it seems to me like if you just have writers as a stereotype if you take the cheerful ones they'll end up in advertising and then the depressed ones become novelists (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, no one wants, yeah, your sad story on TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they want it in the drama section of Netflix, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe that's a good segue into um, the film I selected, which I didn't pre-screen uh, with you at all, so I'm just no. going to surprise you. So I selected... Um, for next week. Stra- yeah, for next week, Strange Days. Okay. Um, which is a science fiction film. Uh, it came out in 1995, about the last days of, of, of the century in 1999. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's written by James Cameron. It was written in response and to and during the time of the Rodney King riots. Um, I think it's an interesting. I haven't watched it since I was. I've like, never seen it. Never seen the trailer. So it's it's fun going okay. into the movie. It did it no did idea. terribly it did terribly in theaters. Um, was like largely discarded, um, but it had a tremendous impact on me when I saw it. And I haven't watched it in like 15 years, so I kind of want to go back and rewatch it. And the movie is about people trading, like trading cards or CDs, uh, realities, um, like recordings of reality. And so there's a lot of tie into Posto, I think, um, but also to this time because it, it was like, you'll see. Um, <laughs> so we yeah. can wait to talk about it next week. Yeah. But it should be fun. Cool. Okay. Uh, so see you all next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Keep sending in your ads. We'll put them at the front. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.